Hello and welcome to Citizen Dame, uh, the podcast where we would rather talk about movies than all the crap that goes on behind the scenes, especially if we're not going to talk about all the abusive male directors out there. I'm Karen Peterson, joined (laughs) by the amazing Lauren Humphreys Brooks. I love that some people will understand what we're saying and other people will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) But we are very online. I think that there there are times when this when on this podcast where we're just like we are incredibly online. We should probably be less online sometimes, and it might be better. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Very very true. How are you, Lauren? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. How is your week? Well. It has been it has been tiring. It has suddenly gotten cold in New York City, and by cold I mean like we've gone from being in the 80s to being in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, Although today you're supposed to be in the seventies, so you know whatever. But uh, yeah, definitely feeling feeling fall. Fall is coming. Uh, yeah, our high today is ninety five. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's weird because it's been getting down into the fifties at night, but it's creeping back up into the nineties during the day. And tomorrow is supposed to be the hottest at ninety nine, but it's supposed to stay that way for most of the week. So that'll be fun. Fun times. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to know it's cooling off on the East Coast, though, because I'm going to be heading over that direction in a couple weeks. So I'm going to a film festival in Virginia. I was going to say, I wouldn't put too much stock in how, how comfortable it is going to be in Virginia, to be totally honest. But Really? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's it's definitely warmer down there. Yeah, but um, probably not. It'll be cooler than California. It'll be cool. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be cooler than California. Um, okay. That's but, what I'm counting. But on. yes, even even in October, I have some friends who live down in um, in North Carolina as well, and they're always really sad because they love fall, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just like we don't have fall down here. <laughs> no. It's like, oh my god, it's sixty five. It's so cold. <laughs> it was weird when I lived in Quebec for a while, and the the fall, the first fall I was there, I was nice and comfortable. I thought you know it was not cold to me but all these locals were like bundled up in sweaters and scarves and stuff like september 1st and they looked at us like we were crazy running around with short sleeves <laughs> i was just like this is wonderful what are you guys talking about <laughs> well you you, you got to come to like new york or massachusetts uh during the winter when we're all walking around in flip-flops and shorts <laughs> so it's four inches of snow that's nothing that's nothing <laughs> I mean, I walk around in shorts and flip-flops in the winter, but that's because it's 75 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) My nephew is thinking about going to school in Arizona, and I'm just like, why would you want to go place that's hotter? Yeah. So... Anyway. Yeah, Phoenix is Phoenix. If you if he's going anywhere near Phoenix, Phoenix is hotter than fuck. Yeah, like, it is like it's the it's the surface of the sun. Yeah, 
Well, he's looking at a couple of schools. He was looking at ASU. He was looking at the University of Arizona. And I was like, University of Arizona has so much better weather. And he's like, yeah, but I didn't really like the campus. I'm like, okay. All right. At least Tempe has a surprisingly good sushi restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So um, that's how we are right now this week. Um, but we are really excited for today's episode because we are going to talk about Let's talk about sex. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't know if anybody has noticed, but sex sometimes makes appearances in movies, and so that's why we're going to talk about it. Um, yeah. So, first of all, let's get into just a little bit of the history of uh sex on screen but like in a what um what was it like pre-code post-code during the code all that stuff so lauren why don't you give us kind of a rundown of um early early depictions of sex (laughs) on film well i i think that to to start off we should definitely mention that that a lot of what we're talking about is more mainstream films we're not really talking about exploitation movies we're talking about american films particularly and we're also not really talking much about the porn industry which is this whole totally separate thing (laughs) but but some of the history of of sex in mainstream cinema is uh, is like wrapped up with the porn industry unfortunately or, or with porn aesthetic true and um and so to just give a really quick rundown i think that most people know about the hayes code and in terms of the dictates that the hayes code had over sex and gender um you know you couldn't obviously you cannot explicitly represent sex um and then there were also all kinds of other other dictates like you know kisses could only last a certain amount of time um doors had to remain open clothes had to remain on men had to have their feet on the floor that kind of thing um so representation of sex post in postcode hollywood uh, or in in code hollywood right was very very restricted and that that actually tends to be the the thing that we focus on when we talk about the production code we focus on the representations of sex and gender less so on um on some of the other things that that were going on with the the Hays Code, which we've talked about in the past, but so in for our purposes, you know, this this is about the way that sex was represented. The result, one of the kind of unintended consequences of the code in Hollywood, was that you could because you could no longer explicitly represent or really even talk about sex um in the movies there had to be other roles for women right we couldn't it couldn't just be about sexuality um not that sexuality was like completely banned or that people didn't find a way around it one of the other one of the other issues that they had to grapple with was how do you represent sex sexuality sex in marriage sex outside of marriage but still get it past the censors so you had this kind of dual thing going on that as a result of censorship um, that was women had to have positive non-sexual roles and you know because you had to you had to give your actresses something to do and um you had to find a way to represent sex that was not actually depict directly depicting or directly discussing sex this in part kind of gave rise especially in the 1930s to to things like screwball comedies um later on to film noir uh as kind of ways of substituting language for sex 
So a lot, if you look at a lot of the screwball comedies, the way that the romance develops between the lead characters is through talking. That's where all of the sexual tension comes from. Um, you look at even, even films that are slightly pre-code, like uh, um, It Happened One Night, um, into some of the later ones, like My Favorite Wife, or um, some of my favorites, some of the William Powell Myrtle Loy films, you have all of these indications of sex, but a lot of it comes from innuendo and conversation, right? The characters fall in love, the characters relate to each other via talking. At the same time, you have a lot of representations of women in very progressive professions, right? You have women who are newspaper reporters, women who are um, cab drivers, uh, actresses, all kinds of things. And so lawyers, you know, Kate, Kate Hepburn talked about that she would never, in, in, in a postcode world, she would never have gotten to play um, a lawyer, right? And and so, so you've got this kind of weird progressiveness coming out as a result of not being able to represent sex on screen. This is not a defense of the code. <laughs> I want to state that this is not saying, oh, wasn't the Hayes Code great? No, it really wasn't. There were all kinds of other problems. And part of the reason why we had kind of the backlash um, in the later 50s and 60s was because of the Hayes Code. So right. this is not like a defense of it. This is just saying this is what people were having to deal with and grapple with. Um, you do see in these films a lot of uh, people getting around some of the the restrictions. So famously notorious got around. Um, you can you know a kiss can only last for so long by having a having a love scene where everybody keeps their clothes on. Um, no one sits on a bed. There is no indication that they like are having sex at any point, but allows them to like kiss each other multiple times throughout the scene. So. And there was a lot of that going on. I recently watched a um, a William Powell Myrna Loy film where they play a married couple. And the undercurrent of the entire film is basically that everyone keeps on interrupting them trying, try, they're trying to fuck the entire movie. <laughs> and people keep on interrupting him. They keep on getting clock blocked, basically. <laughs> to the point that he pretends that he's insane at, at, in one section of the film. And like literally cannot get his wife alone, basically. <laughs> so and this entire movie, really, the undercurrent of it, the entire movie is about sex. And it's a married couple. We know that they're sleeping together. Um, these are not people who like have a chaste marriage or anything like that. Uh, but but so that that's what was going on in, in Code Hollywood. When you get to kind of the the begin the beginning of the downfall of the production code post about 1948. Um, things begin to loosen up a lot more and you see a lot more, more explicit sexual content, um, more clear implications of, of sex and of, and of rape and of assault even uh, running throughout the films of the, the late 40s and into the 50s and then finally into the 60s. One of the things that then becomes influential is, is porn aesthetic because there's been no, there've been no mainstream representations of sex. Basically, you, you know, if, if we think about that, we went through literal decades where mainstream film could not show it, could barely even imply it. Mm -hmm. And were really restricted with what they could show. So the only available representations on screen, visual representations of sexuality are one, uh, some, you know, European films, but primarily porn and exploitation stuff. 
Um, and that's that's something that is running, you know, their pornography has been around forever, right? But those are the only visual representations that we have. So porn aesthetic and particularly 1960s and 70s porn aesthetic folds into mainstream filmmaking. That's how films get made. When you talk about a sex scene in a movie, we go immediately to the porn aesthetic. And, you know, if you just look at a lot of these films, you can see that influence. And that's an influence that has stayed with us until the current moment. So when we talk about, I think, on-screen sexuality and, and um, sex in the movies, in, at least in terms of mainstream films, we need to really note that we are starting from a place of pornography being heavily influential. And pornography, as we know, and I really hope we don't have to tell anyone this, is heavily male-centric. It is heavily the male gaze. Um, and a lot of it depends upon the exploitation and the dissection of the female body. Period. Like that's that's just a fact of porn aesthetic, particularly in the periods that we're talking about. So that is feeding into the development of showing sex on screen in the in the 60s, 70s, 80s and, and to today. So kind of simplistic, but that that's the basic history of, of a lot of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So when we get into um, this is a question for you, um, when we get into like post postcode and really start to see more depictions of sex on screen or start to see any depictions of sex on screen what are some examples um just referring to what you're talking to where it's this porn aesthetic what are some examples of um good depictions and bad depictions some good depictions um trying to think about that actually (laughs) (laughs) oh the other thing that i wanted to i did want to mention the fact that women's roles then change and you can see them change particularly starting in the 1950s and then running through the 60s and 70s um so women and in fact shirley mclean gave a really interesting interview i think in the the 70s about this about how suddenly women were being basically her her argument was women are being put back in the bedroom Mm -hmm. um and that women become more sexual and more explicitly sexualized um in terms of like i i'm trying to think of like really positive depictions from that era i mean certainly even things like gentlemen um gentlemen prefer blondes is actually very positive representations of sex now again you're not it, it isn't explicit particularly um but it is a lot more sexual than something that you're going to see in the 1930s and 40s. There is a lot, I mean, there's uh, there's an entire sequence where Jane Russell is walking around admiring men's bodies and they are all practically naked. Um, so I think that that would be, that would be one, some uh, Streetcar Named Desire, a lot of the, the Tennessee Williams adaptations are much more explicitly sexual. Um, the implications of things like uh, like assault and rape, but also desire um are again much much more much clearer much more explicit you get films like um sweet bird of youth with paul paul newman uh long hot summer with paul newman and joanne woodward um trying to think of uh suddenly last summer to a certain degree although what is actually going on there is a question (laughs) sometimes but um, and you and you also have to note that culture is changing as well. You do get in the sixties and seventies, you get the, cult, the the sexual revolution. You get women possessing their sexuality more. Um, I mean, in films like Taxi Driver, which don't have uh, direct sex scenes, but do have people visiting a porn theater, right? Um, 
a lot of the, and again, it's it's questionable how mainstream you want to actually say that these films are. But when you look at a lot of the black exploitation films, there's a lot of sex in those films, and and very visually influenced by porn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others that I can't right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like in the moment, it's hard to to think of examples, and I'm sure there are lots that people are listening to right now are like, "What about this mm-hmm. one?" um well so i mean even just look at the films of people like brian de palma or mm-hmm. um paul schrader paul schrader's cat people um which is is significantly later um all of those erotic thrillers that we talk about where you have sex scenes or you at least have um very heavy implications of of sex nudity etc yeah well yeah because once you get into the 80s and the 90s it becomes even more explicit and tends to be heavily um, sexualizing women over men. You start to see a lot more um, female nudity and almost no male nudity um, other than butts, you know, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting if you look at by the decade, the history of, of the way sex is represented and it's it's interesting too. just going back to what you were talking about with the way it was depicted you know during the time of the Hayes Code and then after the Hayes Code was was over but they still weren't necessarily being super explicit about it and it's funny now you know as an adult to go back and watch certain movies that maybe I watched when I was younger and didn't get that they were talking about sex and realizing now like oh they're totally talking about doing it <laughs> you know um like I remember being so shocked when I realized that uh in Casablanca that Rick and Ilsa totally had like this you know strong sexual relationship and chemistry and stuff I was like wait <laughs> I didn't get that when I was a kid <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, you you get you get these little I mean we've talked about it before, these cinematic shorthands, right? Where it's just like, okay, if we fade out and then fade back in and it's the same scene and they're still together, but later mm-hmm. they've had sex, yeah. right? Um, you you do get, you know, directors like people like Hitchcock or Howard Hawks, um, kind of giving these sly little in, indicate, you know, visual representations, right? The train going into the tunnel kind of thing. <laughs> fireworks um, and, and then yeah fireworks it, no exactly it is the shorthand of like and then they had sex right. you know you 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 get and you get that in in earlier films as well in the again in the 30s and 40s so this use of language and banter as standing in for sex in the fred astaire and ginger rogers films you know they often talked about the fact that the dance sequences we're standing in for sex, right? You can't have them getting into bed together, but you can have them dancing. They're fully clothed. They're like, but it's very sexual. It's very romantic, yeah. right? Um, and and so, yeah, I think that that's always something we have to note, that it's not like there wasn't indications of sexuality in these films. A lot of the time it was ways of getting around what the censors were telling them they could actually show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was thinking about this last night. Um, what is, if you can remember, what is the first sex scene you can remember seeing in a movie? For me, it was Top Gun. I was nine years old. <laughs> That's interesting, Karen. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> but I was um, thinking about that and I was like, oh, oh, that could explain some things. 
<laughs> the, the, okay, so the most vivid memory I have, and this has something about me as well, um, was actually the film Earth Girls Are Easy <laughs> um, with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. And there's a very weird sort of alien sex scene um, that's actually quite sweet. It's it's like very romantic. Uh, and and again, it's it's one of those sex scenes where it's not like, it isn't pornographic particularly, but it's like, yes, they are like rolling around in the bed and kissing and all of that stuff. Um, so that's, I think that that is probably, that's definitely one of the most memorable ones. Okay. I feel like Um, now I need to do a deep dive into exploring people's, uh, biggest and earliest film crushes and tying that to, did you see them have sex on screen? (laughs) Cause there could be something here. (laughs) I mean, it was definitely formative. I was like, huh? Yeah. Okay. Mm. um <laughs> yeah uh yeah so so i i think that that's probably the earliest but it's it's interesting to actually look at some of those those sex scenes in mainstream films where you do get a lot you definitely get more more female nudity like you said get breasts particularly um and and you might get um you might get a male butt mm-hmm. maybe um that's that's kind of pushing it a little bit but um but a lot of the time it's very sort of floaty like there's there's definitely this like fade in fade out um you know hands grasping all of that kind of thing where you know what's going on but you're not seeing much right um go going back really quickly to to your question about like what are some some films that have that were influenced by the porn aesthetic i can't believe i didn't think of this one um last tango in paris oh yeah i have uh, never watched yeah. that movie so <laughs> And I never will. <laughs> that's that's definitely one that is is. I mean, I again, I hope I don't have to explain it to people. At the, so if you look at that movie, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's definitely one of the earlier ones. So that's 1972. Yeah. Okay. So what about um, what about positive representations of? of sex whether it's heterosexual homosexual uh whatever it might be um you know we we talk sometimes about like oh that was actually a really lovely scene like this week when this conversation came up i was thinking about the movie if beale street could talk and it's the there's a sex scene in it and it's actually so beautiful it's it's you know it's really this um the way that it's filmed the way that the camera um really lingers on both of them and really feels like this is two people who are deeply deeply in love with each other and everything about that scene is beautiful it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel exploitative it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel like it's just thrown in there just to be there like there's a there's a reason that scene exists and it's just it's just beautiful. So that was one that I thought of. What about you? Yeah. I, I think that that's a really, really good, particularly of, of more recent films, mm-hmm. because there there has been a lack of, I think, positive representations of particularly heterosexual sex. Yeah. Um, in di- Directly, you know, and, so, and some of the things, so, you know, I mentioned Earth Girls Are Easy, which is positive. It's a positive scene. Um, Top Gun, positive scene. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to be enjoying themselves. Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but again, there, there's this pulling back on that of, of like, we're not really going to show it uh, in any sense. So, yeah. 
Um, and I think if Beale Street Could Talk is is prep is one of the more explicit but also more positive representations. Mm -hmm. um, the I mean the, the one that I came back to, and again, this is a French film, but um Portrait of a Lady on Fire yeah. has very positive representation of sex. Um the brief sex scene in uh um the most in a league of their own in the most recent series. Uh, again, like you, you don't get much, there's not tons of sex in, in that show, but there is some, and again, very positive representation, but the, the other one that I thought of was bound. And I was like, I keep on thinking of lesbian sex scenes. Uh, <laughs> so these are not heterosexual sex scenes, but I do think that that, is, that there's actually a point to that, that in representing pleasure, it seems that both, uh, that queer filmmakers in particular, queer writers, et cetera, and, and queer sex generally has more positive associations in cinema than heterosexual sex because I think of, of some of the issues that we are talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, the, the conflation also of um, particularly heterosexual sex with rape and violence. Yeah. And not being able to tell the difference sometimes in these films. Yeah. Um, cause sometimes even the way rape scenes are filmed, it's like, it, it, it's not filmed in a way where it's very clear that this is a terrible thing. You know, it, it sounds so weird to say it like that, but like, this is one thing that, um, really struck me with, um, Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale was mm -hmm. in those really brutal scenes. I mean, that is not an easy movie to watch. But the camera is always on her. It's always on the victim's face. You see her experience and you can feel just the horror that she's experiencing. You never see the men that are brutalizing her. You never see them and getting any pleasure out of it. And that's part of the problem. But going back to just sex in movies and not rape in movies... Um, but I just, I, I think the first time I ever saw a scene, this is so weird, but I think the first time I ever saw a scene of a a woman or a girl, like or at least that's really stood out to me, where the focus is on her enjoyment and not his, was the movie Fear. Do you remember that movie? I do remember. Are you talking about the roller coaster yes. scene? Yes. <laughs> and I was just that, like, Now see, oh. that had an impact on me when I saw it on television. Yeah. I was just like, what? Oh, my. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, that's, uh, yeah. Um, but that's but that's the thing is, like, that is such a standout scene, not because the movie is great, not because that scene is particularly, like, well done, but because it's so rare to see the focus on the 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 girl in that situation, you know? So that was, that was that. I don't know if I would say just because of what that movie is, I don't know that I could say it's a positive representation, but that particular scene was like, oh, girls do get to enjoy this too. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a positive representation in the scene itself. Right. But when you look at it in the larger movie, <laughs> same with yeah. a new movie that's out this weekend. Don't worry, darling. Uh, that is a movie that is difficult yeah. to talk about right now. And I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but um, the scenes between Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, they're this young married couple that are totally obsessed with each other and they have a lot of sex. And pretty much all of the, the times that they are having sex, um, it's 
all about her and her enjoyment of it. It's not like the focus is never on him. You never really see um, like, you know, that he's kind of just obsessed with his wife, but like in a seemingly healthy way. But um, you never really get to see or need to see uh, his experience because, you know, it's about her. Once you find out what's really happening in that movie, it changes the context a bit, kind of like in fear, um, but not like fear at all, like totally different movies, but just like it, same idea where it's like, oh, okay, this takes a different meaning now, but those scenes are really uh, shot where it's very much about her, not about him. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I mean, I haven't seen Don't Worry Darling yet, so I, I cannot comment on that one, but um I, I think that a lot of what we're talking about is the difference between the male gaze and the female gaze. Yes, yeah. Um, and and you know, and I I think that you know some of it is is so much of this is also cultural, right? It's not just obviously film does not exist in a vacuum um, or a void. It it exists in, within the wider culture and within the context of the wider culture and how our perceptions of sex, sexuality, what is okay, what isn't, changes. Um, and uh but one one film actually that i just thought of in talking about this and it's an it's an odd film in a lot of ways because it is very non-traditional sexuality um but uh the film secretary with maggie gyllenhaal and james spader which is about a bdsm uh snm relationship between a boss and his secretary but again all of the representations of sex are very much about their combined pleasure and them enjoying themselves and actually and it's it's odd because like i say this is non-traditional it's bdsm etc but it treats it with with a great deal of sensitivity and kindness and tenderness that you don't again you don't see a great deal of and at a certain point you know i'm beginning to wonder like well how do we classify mainstream movies because we don't have a studio system in the way that we used to Mm -hmm. um what is main what is really viewed as being mainstream and what isn't but i think that that is one film that has a very positive view of heterosexual of a heterosexual relationship that also has a kink aspect to it um but that isn't abusive that isn't um you know in, in any sense non-consensual yeah i have not seen that movie so i will have to take your word for it but I hear what you're saying. It is, a, it is an interesting film. Okay. Um, I must say, I I will also say, do not Google best sex scenes in movies. Yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> and also, some even some of the regular publications, I'm just like, did you watch that? Because I don't think you did. Uh-oh. I'm pretty positive that you did not see this movie because I, that's not, I no, we're not going to do that. Well, but who's writing those articles? Men. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. Almost, almost exclusively. Yeah. Uh, another one actually I was just thinking about is um, the shape of water, which I think counts as heterosexual. Yeah. Um, well, he's male. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but but there's a couple of different things going on in that movie because you also get to see a woman enjoying herself. <laughs> she masturbates every morning as part of her daily routine. And <laughs> how often do we see that in movies? But separate from that, the scene where she and the the creature, um, um, when they flood the bathroom, it, that is such a beautiful scene too. Like just it's the 
the way that that is shot, the colors, the way that the focus is on both of them. Again, another one of those, like they're both enjoying this, but it's also just such a beautiful scene. So that's a great example too. Yeah, that's true. And and understandably or not understandably, but predictably, predictably, right. um, the reaction of a lot of uh, a lot of people online was, oh, it's the fish fucking movie. I just saw someone say that again the other day. And I was just like, it has been f- six fucking years. Get over it. Yeah. Grow up. Grow yeah. up. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, we could talk about that in terms of the audience response to to sexual scenes. The uh, another film that I, I just thought of in, in this conversation is The English Patient. Oh, yeah. Um, and The English Patient, again, has a number of sex scenes. What's really interesting about it is that we don't we don't see a lot of them being naked together. Right. We see like most of the sex scenes, they're fully clothed, which mm-hmm. is odd, <laughs> um, but, you know, very passionate, very much. And and again, a lot of focusing on her, a lot of focusing on the fact that she is enjoying herself. Um, yeah. And 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 I, I think that there is this dearth of positive representations of heterosexual relationships generally yeah um and true. and so you know a lot of the things that we're talking about even you know we're, a lot of things we're talking about would be classified as the less traditional sexuality so in the shape of water <laughs> mm. <laughs> so the sh- uh you know like i said secretary um not certain whether you want to really want to put stuff like 50 shades of gray in there but you know or and and also queer sexuality so the the some of the the other films that i mentioned um and all of those i i think is kind of speaking to the fact that when we see pleasure being focalized through the female character it is so often via non-traditional forms of of sexuality so non-heteronormative non-heterosexual right um, and in some way right and and that's unfortunate, but I think that again, it's all it's partially about our culture, but partially also about this influence of, of pornography and the porn aesthetic and um, the the uh, dissection of of the female body. That it's what's really important is that we see her naked, not that we see her having enjoying herself in any way. Yeah, which is I think when we talk about um, same sex relationships in film um i think that we see a difference i I know there's been a lot of discussion about bros which is coming out i think next week um the billy eichner film and they're marketing that as the first studio movie about gay people ever that is entirely um all the cast is lgbtq plus um there's not even the straight people are played by LGBTQ uh, actors, which is awesome. But um, there's been a lot of, of examples recently. Uh, This is becoming more common to have um, same sex couples in film and letting them actually enjoy all the benefits of being in relationships. Um, And I think that, um, just just to your point about you know so much of the way sex has been depicted on screen does come from you know this porn aesthetic what we see with same-sex films is not that (laughs) so um there's definitely a difference in in the way that Mm -hmm. that those relationships are presented on screen um can you talk about that a little bit 
um, it's, I, I think that a lot of what we're talking about is it's moving away from the male gaze when mm-hmm. what it really comes out to. And I, I do think, you know, we have to make distinctions and we've talked about this issue before. There's a distinction between the male gaze and the female gaze. The female gaze is not just the reverse of the male gaze. Right. Um, and, and there's also a queer gaze that is, is wrapped up in that as well. So, I, I think what the one of the unfortunate things that that I'm thinking about even as we're talking about it is that there are so few positive and explicit representations of heterosexual sex. And by that, I mean, no one is being abused. No one might be a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, no one is, you know, n- no one is cheating on their significant other, etc. They both actually um, like each other. They like each other. They're actually having fun. It's enjoyable for everybody involved. Right. And there's not a lot of that. And I, I, I think that that's sad first of all, Mm -hmm. but it's also implying, I think at a a wider cultural level that heterosexual sex isn't pleasant that particularly for women, um, that it isn't positive. It isn't a positive experience again, particularly for women. And that, is deeply problematic. And I think that we do have to think about what we are being shown in media, because, you know, even as we were just mentioning, what was the first sex scene you ever saw in a movie? Um, We are influenced by the things that we see on the screen. We're influenced by what, what to expect, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, how we're supposed to feel all of those things. And if the only positive representations are, you know, and I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have positive representations of queer relationships and queer sex and um and not and other you know quote non-traditional uh sexualities but the fact that we have so few positive representations of heterosexual relationships and heterosexual sex is very problematic and very dangerous for a lot of people um so i just just in in all of this conversation that's something i was thinking about i was like this is not good i don't like this yeah yeah Um, well and and you know, just thinking about that too, like some of the earliest um, examples, I, I can't think of any specifics right now off the top of my head, but just like thinking back on when they first, when it first became more common to see, um, you know, same sex kisses, even just on TV, it was always girls and it was always really for the straight male viewers. It was yeah. never for it was never for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, it was it was always about male pleasure. It was right. about men. It, it, and again, it goes back to that porn aesthetic. The, mm-hmm. you know, lesbian porn is very often not lesbian porn. Right. <laughs> it's it is men inserting themselves at some level exactly. uh, into a scene with with two sexy women or something like that. It's women perf- making performing for men. Yeah. Um, and and that that is the constant impatient and a lot of that stuff. And that bleeds into as as we're talking about that bleeds into mainstream representations of uh, up to and including, you know, just girls kissing or something like that. Right. Um, sorry, what was what was the initial question that you I had earlier? I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> um, sorry, I, I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> well, I think it was just like, you know, when when um, same sex scenes or or relationships appear in films now um because they're not being filtered through this male gaze because those stories aren't being told for straight white men Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's 
better. And it's those, those relationships are typically depicted. Um, I, I don't know. Just, it feels like they're more real. It feels like they're more honest. I mean, doesn't feel that way. They are more real and more honest, mm-hmm. but what are some, uh, what are some recent examples um, of some good depictions of this? Uh, well, like I said, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and yeah. I think the, the League of Their Own are very good. Um, the first time I saw a full sex scene between two men that I can actually remember that didn't like cut away or anything was there's a, a show on Netflix called Special. And the first season was they were short form. The second season, it was it was the longer form, like full episodes. Um, but there's a scene where these two guys are having sex and i was just like it i don't know why but it just like all of a sudden in that moment i was watching it and i was like i have literally never seen this before like not filmed this way and it was just so interesting that was just a couple of years ago that was probably within the last five years um i i think that this mm-hmm. is something that we're starting to see more now but it's it's uh i don't know it, i struggle yeah, to come definitely. up with with male examples because so much of it has been women because that i think um even when it's the goal is not to uh to present this for men i think it's easier to sell it yeah that's absolutely true i mean you look at you look at a film like bound which is very much not the male gaze at all right um but was sold sort of as like oh we get to see these hot girls banging kind of thing yeah um and and that's that's the way that it's marketed yeah a lot if you look at a lot of i mean we've talked about this before but a lot of the representations of queer men in film is very humorous uh or or just or um tragic (laughs) one or the (laughs) other um one there there was one film that i was thinking about and now i'm blanking on it again uh carol is definitely one um again it's lesbian representation there uh maurice that was the that was one of the other ones with um hugh grant and uh james and i can't remember his last name now but um again this is it's kind of a tragic story in a lot of ways although it has a, a fairly positive ending but the um and i'm trying i'm struggling to remember if there is a if there's a an consistent like explicit sex scene mm-hmm. i think that there is uh, but it is about this this romantic relationship between these two men and kind of grappling and it's it's set in the past um, and kind of grappling with with the social stigma and the things that they have to deal with as a result of that. But again, it's a it's a positive in a lot of ways, not thoroughly, but it's in a lot of ways, it's a very positive view of male um, homosexuality. Yeah, I know. Obviously, one of the big uh, one of the big examples here is Brokeback Mountain, but yeah. I don't. And I know I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about that movie. I don't know that I can say that I feel like it's positive because I mean there are definitely um there are definitely moments and it's this relationship between these two men, but I feel like so much of it is like um when they're specifically having sex, it's more about it's not about two men coming together. It's more about um I don't know, almost like to me, the way I watch it, it almost is more just about like satisfying something, but not mm-hmm. in any sort of a um, romantic way. I Yeah, I think that you're I think that that's a good observation there. Um, 
And I, I think that some of this is also about, you know, the way the, that gay men are perceived within culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and the repression that undoubtedly has, has filtered through all of that. Right. Uh, and I'm and- not in any way criticizing Brokeback Mountain by saying that. I just, to me, when I look at, like, when I'm thinking the term positive representation, I'm thinking, like, these two people just really love each other and they're just enjoying this and they're living in the moment. And I feel like with Brokeback Mountain, it's just, it that's, there's so mm-hmm. much else happening with that movie that I don't think that that's the point. Yeah, I think that you're right. Um, I, one that one that I just thought of is God's Own Country from 2017. Uh, oh, I didn't see that one. And and that that one again, there's there's tragedy that's attached to it, but there's also a lot of hope. And um, and this kind of it, it basically one of one of the main characters is constantly having meaningless sex, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> and then he meets this this other person and and basically and begins falling in love and doesn't quite know how to deal with that right so there's but again the the representations of sex are very um are very explicit and uh and are very positive like especially as the film goes on and their relationship deepens and develops cool i haven't seen that one so it is i i do recommend it it is a really interesting film Nice. Well, we did get a question from Connor that's in uh, talking about all the things that we've been talking about. Um, He says, does the application of the term male gaze have a negative impact on the perception of non-cis hetero men enjoying sex scenes? Um, So I don't know about them as viewers enjoying sex scenes but i think in the context of movies i because I, I can i can read this question two different ways so so the so non-cis hetero men enjoying sex well first of all i think we should say that neither so one of us are, are non <laughs> yeah well not but non-cis oh okay yeah so we're talking about men or are we everybody talking about who's not everybody straight who's not straight okay <laughs> yeah uh let's say yeah <laughs> Say, mm-hmm. So I was going to say, well, we're not non-cis hetero men because right. we're not, we, we right, right, do not yeah. identify as men. Um, <laughs> but okay. Yes, it's a I, good I question. I, I, it's early in the morning and I was, uh, I was, <laughs> it's a good we're question. In, we're interpreting your question in two different ways. Let's interpret it as everybody who's not straight man. Yes. Um, so, uh, so if the, if the issue is about the term itself. I think the term is very useful, but the term has been misunderstood. Yeah. Um, the term has, first of all, been misunderstood to apply to every film, uh, which, as we have discussed many times, is not correct. Um, and it's not even correct to say that every film made by a male director or written by a male writer. Or with takes a male protagonist. Male or with a male protagonist takes on the male gaze. That's not, ne- it doesn't necessarily follow. It, it address, it's addressing a specific kind of voyeurism. And a specific kind of, um, you know, implication of the pleasure of looking yeah. that relates to a, a straight cis male viewer, white male viewer, usually as well. Um, and and so I, I think that the the term gets misapplied to as, you know, being kind of a blanket term to encompass everything. But some of what we're talking about when we're talking about these these different representations of sex scenes is is exactly that. I think it's it's a useful term because it's saying like this scene 
was made with a specific viewer in mind. And that viewer is straight, that viewer is male, that viewer is probably uh, white, and that viewer is cis. Mm -hmm. And it is about the pleasure of that viewer. It is not about it, it and so it objectifies it um it you know all, all these things we talk about it deconstructs the female body very often um it treats this as an act of dominance i think that then we also have to consider whether or not you know the implication that that has on the the straight man right you know this is how you're supposed to understand sexuality right uh which is not a particularly positive angle to take anyways and then you know i mean again this is all wrapped up in our culture and our society and our history so it's difficult to separate all of those things out but no i think that this is a very useful term as long as we understand what it actually means I agree with you that it's a useful term. What I would say in regards to the question is that for me, like if I'm talking to a friend or uh, reading a review or something like that, and whether they specifically use the term male gaze or just the way that they're talking about the film strongly indicates that that's what, you know, that's the main focus. It, it definitely does. I'm going to be honest, it has a negative impact on my perception going into that movie. I'm going to have a lot of assumptions, most of those assumptions being, oh, this movie probably isn't for me, or at least these mm -hmm. scenes are not going to be scenes that I'm going to enjoy watching. It definitely alienates viewers. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I think that, again, I think that some of this is about misapplication of the term as well, that you not understanding what it means. Mm-hmm um so but you know, it definitely you are... it sets up expectations and yeah. yeah and so yeah that's anyway sorry i cut you off no no i i, I think that you're right it, set, it sets up these expectations of what it's going to be but i think that some of that is also an expectation that or a misunderstanding that the person talking might have about what the male gaze actually is versus what it isn't mm -hmm. um and again, a lot of this is also about interpretation. You can interpret this as this is the male gaze, but I might look at it and go like, mm, I don't think that it is actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cool. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to say about sex? <laughs> <laughs> so many things to say about sex. Um, I my I think my final my maybe my final point is just in terms of of everything that we've talked about is I think that there's a reason why there's so many women who prefer classical Hollywood, yeah. um, and one of it is because you see these female characters being prized not for solely for their bodies, right, or solely for their looks or their sexuality. You see women being represented as, as a lot of different things and still being desirable. Yeah. Um, and it, it treats a lot of the time because of this emphasis on language and innuendo, it treats romance and desire as something fun and bantery and something that you can make jokes about. Um, whereas the more that we've gotten, the more that we've been allowed to represent sexuality, the darker it's gotten in a lot of ways. That's true. That's a good point. So with that, um, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching lately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you watched this week, Lauren? I watched X. <laughs> Yay! Speaking of sex and movies. I was going to say. And I was the porn industry. 
and the porn industry and female pleasure. I do have to say for a film that is about a like serial killer murdering people on the set of a low budget porn film, the representation, the actual representations of sex are pretty positive. Like the porn scenes that they have are like, everybody's having a nice time here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. good time. Everybody's good. It's repression that's bad. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it too much because I really, I, I do think that people should go in with as little knowledge of this film as possible. <laughs> um, just to, I kind of saw where it was going. I was like, I think I know what's going to happen here. Yep, it happened. Um, <laughs> but I, I really liked it. I really liked what the film was saying. I really liked kind of the, I liked how slowly it developed. I mean, the mayhem doesn't really start until the, the third act pretty mm-hmm. much. So there's a lot of development. There's a lot of character development. Um, a lot and there's of there's like, tension along the way, but yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it doesn't really get into it until yeah later on. Uh, yeah, the 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 dialogue and the conversations that the different characters are having, and how it's really examining this sort of confluence of of porn and horror. Um, and I very much want to see Pearl now. That's all I have to say. Well, I'm not going to give anything away about Pearl, but I will say that there is a scene in which someone is watching, because it's set in 1918, and someone watches a porn film from 1918, and it's a silent (laughs) movie, and it is very pornographic, and it is just great. (laughs) I, you know, I know the pornography, I mean, pornography has existed since forever like it's some of the earliest yeah it's some of the earliest stuff that we as human beings did Mm -hmm. um because we're 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 a weird little species Uh, (laughs) but whenever people talk about like you know silent film pornography i always think of laszlo in what we do in the shadows (laughs) and his boring it's so bloody boring (laughs) oh god Yes, I recommend X. I, I you you recommended it last week. I recommend it again this week. Uh, I, you know, it's definitely violent. It's definitely bloody. Um, but I, it does some some fantastic things. I found it incredibly entertaining. Yeah, and I also definitely recommend Pearl. Like, I am so happy that there are some repertory theaters that are doing uh, double features because that is just a fun night i can't imagine Mm -hmm. a better way to watch either of those movies than to watch them together and uh, if you haven't seen x watch that first and then watch pearl it'll be more uh, more fun that way so um what have i been watching well i saw don't worry darling and i liked it and i'm not sorry that i liked it (laughs) And Are you being um, paid off by Olivia Wilde. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, no, uh, I it was funny because I saw the movie. I went to a screening and on the way home, I called a friend and I was just like, um, don't worry, darling, it's pretty good. And he was like, I know what's wrong with everybody. <laughs> so it's um, it's one that it's hard to talk about without. Uh, without going into spoilers because uh, like what I was saying earlier about the way sex is depicted in that movie it's like once you know the full context it takes on a totally different meaning but uh, the movie itself I think is very well directed I think that there's 
Uh, there's some issues with the script, but I think that's where the issues for that movie are. It's designed very well. The acting is good. Harry Styles' accent changes inexplicably partway through. And they ne- nobody ever talks about it. I kind of drew a conclusion about you know why that could be and i feel like there's a reasonable explanation for it but um but they never go there in the movie so we have to just assume that it just changed and he just stopped trying to be american but um anyway it's it's a gorgeous movie the production design is beautiful the cinematography is fantastic the costumes everything about the art of this film is really really great and um and yeah, I liked all of the the performances. The drawback to it is is the script, which falls apart a little bit. Once you find out what's really going on, um, it asks a lot more questions, or it gives you a lot more questions that it can't answer in a frustrating way. Not in a like, ooh, I want to ponder this, but in a but that doesn't make sense now sort of way. So that was that was a little bit too bad. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed this movie. So. I I think people need to just calm down and stop worrying about all the infighting that happened on the set and just enjoy the movie for what it is. You mean that there are times where we should actually just watch the movie before we pass judgment on it? Uh, yes. <laughs> I would say that 98% of the time that is true. <laughs> Although there are some films that I'm perfectly comfortable passing judgment on with ha- never having seen. <laughs> That's why I said 98%. <laughs> this Um, podcast brought to you by discussions of blonde on on twitter oh gosh yeah yeah a film which i am not watching i'm sorry i'm just it's not happening i'm not doing it don't want to do it have no interest in it just everybody stop just like ignore this movie it'll go away yeah i've gone back and forth on that i'm i'm 100 with you on it but i'm also like I don't know. Part of me feels like I have to bite the bullet and be the one to watch it for the show. Um, if if you want to take that bullet, Karen, like I will, <laughs> I will send you like a little care package or something as a thank you because I ain't doing it. I'm just yeah. Not. I just but then it's like I don't know if I want to do that to myself. So I haven't I haven't fully decided, but we'll see. Uh, was there anything else you watched this week that you wanted to mention? Uh, I have been watching, speaking of sexuality, uh, I rewatched Suspiria, which actually is one of the least sexual of Dario Argento's films, huh. now that I think about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I've, I've, I've seen Suspiria many times. Um, I love it. I love the fact that no matter how many times I've seen it, I seem to forget most of it, um, <laughs> except for like very, very quick moments. But I'm just like, this plot doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't not. know what did what did they even want, but it, it just moves along on vibes and aesthetic, and I, I fucking love it. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need. Yes, I mean um, honestly, it's most of Argento's work. It moves along on vibes and aesthetic. There are some that are better <laughs> plotted than others, but. <laughs> uh, so another movie that's out this weekend is Avatar, and they're doing a remastered version of it. So I saw that earlier this week. So that. One of my friends was like, why are you going to a screening of that? And I said, so that I don't have to pay to see it in the theater. <laughs> don't tell Disney I said that. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting because it still visually looks amazing. The reason people saw that movie, the reason it became the highest grossing movie of all time, uh, 
asterisk not adjusted for inflation was because of the visuals nobody was going to see that movie for the story or even for the stars and that is still true although i will say that 13 years later that story is worse than ever like the years have not been kind and (laughs) i understand that it's always been a problem but my understanding of the world and my broader understanding of why some of these things are a problem just made it such an uncomfortable experience. So I'm just sitting there. Like I was bored. And I remember the first time I saw it, I wasn't bored. I just knew like, "Eh, there's problems with the story, but it was so beautiful that I didn't care as much. Not that I didn't care, but it just, that wasn't my focus. But this time watching it, all I could focus on was how problematic it is and how fucking long it is. And I was just like, I would like to go home now. So, (laughs) but If you want to see it for the visuals, it is still beautiful. It's even more beautiful now. They've remastered it. And, um, you know, back in the day when 3D was really popular and it was like, if you weren't sitting in the middle of the, 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 the seats, then it was all distorted. This is not the case with this movie. Like I was sitting off to the side and it was still perfect. So for what it's worth, (laughs) I, I don't think I've seen Avatar since it came out yeah um and i i remember going to see it and being like wow and then i left it just like well, that was fucking dumb <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, well and that's the thing is like i remember thinking the story was dumb too but now it's like i look at it and go wait a second because i mean you and i had that conversation a while back where we were like wait a second so not only is it white people literally inhabiting the skin of these indigenous folks but all of the indigenous folks are played by people of color. So it's like that just takes on an extra layer of problem. But then I had completely forgotten that the reason people call them cat people is because they act like cats. So it's like not only (laughs) are they indigenous people played by people of color, they're also acting like animals. I didn't really think about that until just this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm truly horrified. What is wrong with people? Like I've seen I've seen so many people going like, oh my God, it's so it's still so amazing. It's, the, it's such a great film. Just like in no, no, it isn't. <laughs> nope. Nope, it is not. Um, but again, it's beautiful. And if that's all you care about, then you will probably enjoy the remastered version. So there you go. Um Joe Letary is a visual effects wizard and he was the visual effects supervisor on that and i really admire him and his work so i will i will compliment him and nothing else (laughs) so yeah uh anything else that you watched this week that you wanted to mention nothing major i've been rewatching a lot of films uh like i said i I rewatched love crazy um i've been slowly working through the various conjuring franchise films nice just yeah. rewatched uh the curse of la Llorona last night the, the the conjuring one not the the good one mm-hmm. um and i i do have to say actually the conjuring one is a perfectly entertaining b horror film like it's not people are like it's the worst horror movie i've ever seen it's just like no it isn't it, it really <laughs> is not um it's it's a b movie it is perfectly entertaining don't think more about it than that <laughs> okay well, I saved the best for last, and that is The Woman King, which I saw last weekend yes. after we recorded. That movie is so good. It's so, so good. I might actually go see it again today just because um, it's 
it's um, such a powerful story and the action in it is great. The performances are phenomenal. Like it's, I just, I can't speak highly enough about this film. So it's, uh, it's definitely worth your time. I know there's a lot of, of questions about historical accuracy and I, you know, in just the research that I did, I'm not really clear on where it is inaccurate and where it's not. I think that some things uh, are just kind of more accelerated timelines. I think there's a definitely, definitely an issue with that. Not an issue, but I think that's part of where people get confused. Like, well, this didn't happen then. It's like, no, sometimes we do a hundred years of history in, in a week, you know, that's just how it works uh, in movies. But Anyway, I think it's fantastic. Gina Prince, by the way, is such an amazing director. Viola Davis, holy crap, can that woman not just not just is she a great performer. We've always known that she's been acting for decades, but uh, just she is so commanding of the screen and really does just uh, lead that movie so incredibly well. But uh, separate from her the best performance in it and the best character in it is played by Lashana Lynch, who just will rip your heart out. She's so, so great. Um, yeah. So I love that movie and I think everyone needs to see it. I, I, that is one that I really, really want to see. I've, I've heard, I've heard mostly positive things about it. The few on the few not positive things have been about this issue of historical accuracy and, and particularly about slavery, mm-hmm. um, which it sounds like that there's, it's more complicated than, than that. Yes. <laughs> that yes. just, Oh, this is inaccurate or something like that. Right. Um, at least from everything that I've heard. Yeah. Well, when I, before I saw it, some of the comments that I saw were literally people complaining that it didn't, talk about slavery at all and i'm like that there's a title card at the beginning of the movie that talks about it like from the first moment of the film it definitely talks about that now how accurate it is as to the dahomey uh, role in that i think is subject to a lot of questions but i also think just from a lot of other things that i've been reading i think a lot of people misunderstood the movie and what it's saying Mm. um i think that's part of the problem it's because it's not trying to cover up their role at all and um yeah and i think it does make the point that they were in and i had to say this on uh, my other podcast too like i am in no way at all defending the decision that the homemade made to sell people into slavery that is horrible thing um but i think that it's very clear uh in the movie and from a lot of the things that I've been reading this week, just like trying to get more of a historical per- perspective, uh, it's a very complicated issue that had a lot of um, a lot of uh, what's the right word I'm looking for. Anyway, there's a lot to it. It wasn't just as simple as they just felt like they weren't selling their own people. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they were, but in the movie, they weren't. It, it, I don't know. It's complicated. That's the point. <laughs> There's, and make it clear subtle, that it's complicated. It sounds like there's a lot more subtlety and nuance than what people have been um, yes. saying. Yes, exactly. Anyway, it's great. You should watch it. Cool. So well, I went to see it. I went to see that. I want to see Pearl. I want to see Barbarian. Yes, yes. I want you to see all of those. So, 
All right. Well, that is going to wrap this up for this week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, we certainly have. We would like to thank our patrons who keep this show going for us. That is, uh, they are, not that is, they are uh, Ollie, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. We really, really appreciate your support. If you would like to become a patron as well, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame. And when you subscribe, you get early access to the episodes. You get bonus episodes, which we have one this week coming up for the faculty, which one hour poll. Um, so we'll be doing that. We're also going to have some other bonus content coming soon. You get buttons and all kinds of fun things like that. Um, you can also support the show by going to our Zazzle store and, and buying a t-shirt or a mask or other buttons and things. Uh, Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame Pod. And we have our Ko-Fi, which is co-fi.com slash Citizen Dame. Uh, if you would like to just continue the conversation and see what else we're up to, you can go to our website, citizendamepod.com. We have reviews. We've got a review of Don't Worry Darling by the time you're reading this. Um, and some other stuff. Lauren's going to be covering the New York Film Festival soon. I'm going to be heading to the Middleburg Film Festival. So we've got some just really fun stuff coming up over the next few weeks. Um, and you can email us if you have questions or thoughts or stuff like that. Uh, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are, of course, on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod and letterboxed at citizendame. And on our letterboxed, we have been, uh, I forgot to do it as we were recording today. So that's going to be fun while I'm editing this. But um, we have an ongoing list of all the films that we've mentioned. We're going to start doing monthly lists so that it'll be easier to keep track of, of when we were talking about things. Um, but basically all the movies that were mentioned in this episode will be on our letterboxed list. And so that way, if you want to um, go back and look at more about what they were, find out where you can watch them, um, you can find it that way. Uh, yeah. And we are also available individually on the socials. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. So that's going to finish things up for this week. We really appreciate your listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. In the late 1800s, a new and exciting medium was invented, and that medium was called cinema. And then about a week later, that developed into pornos. Now, the first porno film I ever made was called The Adventures of a Very Randy Vampire. And I played the leading role of the very Randy Vampire. I was cast because they thought that I looked like a vampire, never once realizing that I was a fucking vampire. I took part in thousands of pornos over the years. If you see them now, they are still very, very erotic. <laughs>